All right. I think we're just about live. I'll give it one moment. And we are live. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. I'm your host, Kane Sims, as always. And as always, I have an epic conversation lined up for you. Today is with Andrew Moorhouse. I'm going to introduce Andrew in a moment. He's the founder and director of consulting at Alitical which uh, Andrew has been doing for a long while, some absolutely amazing work in the conversational analysis space. For anyone who's working in conversational AI, if you haven't figured out yet that a crucial element of creating highly performing conversational agents resolves and, and relies on your ability to understand what a good conversation is. And in order to do that, you need to be able to analyze conversations. And in order to really work out what's working well and what should be working well and what you can fix and what you can improve, you need to be able to not just analyze those conversations on a one-to-one basis, but analyze those conversations at scale. And Andrew's got some immense experience of analyzing conversations at scale for some of the world's biggest brands and some of the world's largest consultancy firms and so he's going to share with us uh, some of his insights some of his uh, some of his research and some of the work that he's been doing over the last number of years and I'm absolutely confident that you're going to learn a hell of a lot uh, over the next uh, hour or so. Uh, before I welcome Andrew out, uh, I want to give a quick shout out to the World AI Series or AI World Series. It is a an awards ceremony, an AI awards contest, if you like, for want of a better phrase, where you can, if you're working on AI solutions, you can submit yourself uh, as a contestant in the uh, in the AI World Series, and perhaps you may win uh, win an award, which is unbelievable. It's actually going to be taking place in Dubai, and it is uh, in May next year. And there is a whole bunch of different categories that you can submit. So there's there's all kind of, let me just pick it up very quickly. There's a generative AI uh, for product. There's a generative AI for text solutions. There's a generative AI for image generation, uh, video, audio, best use of AI in risk, in fraud, in governance, best use of AI in ethics. There's all the verticals you would expect. They've got their own categories, travel, hospitality, healthcare, insurance, logistics. So if you're working on AI solutions in any of these areas, pretty much any vertical, if you're on the product side or if you're on the implementation side, get yourself the kudos that you deserve by entering yourself into the AI World Series. You can visit AIWorldSeries.com and you can enter there. And who knows? You may well win yourself an award and get some recognition for all the hard work that you've been putting in over the last few years. So uh, that's the AIWorldSeries.com. All right, now then, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please welcome Andrew Boerhouse. Andrew, welcome. Good afternoon, my friend. Um, it's been a long time coming this conversation, but very we, much. we've agreed some ground rules, no profanity or mild, <laughs> mild profanity, I think. Mild profanity is entirely acceptable. Uh, I think I think we live in a in a modern world where people are. Uh, I think most people have a degree of mild profanity. I think we're we're from a very similar place, aren't we? Are you from? Are you, is it Stockton you're from? Yeah, we we grew up one, one mile away from each other in a in a, in a beautiful salubrious post-apocalyptic <laughs> industrial former coal mining shipbuilding town, I think. So, yes. That's right, yeah. Practically yeah, yeah, yeah. neighbours, aren't we? Oh, we were neighbours. Yeah, we were, we were, yeah. I mean, Stockton's not a very big place. I mean, everything's pretty much a stone's throw uh, from everywhere else. So, yeah, small world. Nights out at the mile. We'll talk, we'll reminisce about that another day. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Um, so, nice. Well, thank you for joining me. You're right. It is definitely long overdue. It's been a long time coming. I've been following you for a long time. I've been reading everything that you post for a long time. Okay. And 
there, there, there are a few people um, in, when I say this industry, if you want, for want of a better phrase, what I'm talking about is customer experience more broadly, AI more specifically, um, but really just in the space of digital transformation and, and working with businesses to help them improve. There's a lot of, as you probably know, a hell of a lot of hype going on. There's a lot of people who are, you know, I suppose thought leaders for want of a better phrase, but people who tend to kind of ride the hype and ride the next wave. And you, for me, have always been a voice of reason in the middle of all of that, which is which is always talking sense and always drawing everything back to what the data would suggest yeah. rather than just following blindly the hype. So I've always, I've always enjoyed that about you. So thank you for spending the time with me. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean... I think sometimes I label all these articles an impassioned rant, you know. But, <laughs> um, but you know, the tech vendor rhetoric, you know, I, I mean, if you look on most, and this is nothing against your conversational AI firms, but, you know, they'll say we, we can strip out 30% of all voice calls. And then you, know, you look at someone else's other, it's 40%. You know, if, I, if I've got a big contact center operation, 12, 14 million calls per year there's there's absolutely no way with a chatbot you're going to strip away millions of, of phone calls i even met one i'm not going to mention a firm who was adamant he could achieve 80 percent and uh, in you know and, and this this was um when i was at deloitte we were doing a, for a big tier one bank quite a robust vendor selection process and, you know yeah it just lost all credibility when the sales guy said 80%, you know, you know, 42% of these, you know, tier one bank inbound calls, these are kind of urgent, important fraud, transaction disputes, you know, these are things that cannot be resolved in, in, in any chatbot and the processes don't exist for them. Um, I think, um, yeah, impassioned ranting is already starting. I think. <laughs> I think. No, it, go on. No, I was going to say. I think the backdrop, and um, this is something we touched upon, was um, I had access to some huge, huge data set uh, of eight billion phone calls from one of the big um, uh, telephony telephony providers. And, you know, this, this was across 240, 250 big, you know, the biggest enterprise firms over a three-year period. And so looking at these 8 billion phone calls, what was fascinating was companies have invested tens, tens of millions of pounds, tens of millions of dollars in conversational AI, automation efforts, self-serve, and it's all very, very well-intentioned. Look at this 8 billion call data set. At best... Call volumes have plateaued, um, and everywhere else they're going up. Now, there are some cases where perhaps a grocery store um, doubled its revenue during the pandemic because more home deliveries. So, of course, call calls have gone up three, four, five minutes, but they generated over ten billion pounds in revenue from the home shopping channel. Mm. So, you go, well, that's fair enough. So, again, this 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 rhetoric of you know, invest in our solutions, we're going to decrease inbound contact. If you used to talk to any contact center operations leader, no one has achieved an OPEX saving from headcount reduction. Headcounts are stable, if not going up 
in call centers. Um, there isn't a single contact center I've I know where they said, hey, we've managed to, you know, the tech vendor said, we mentioned the name before, I won't say it again, 20% OPEX headcount reduction guaranteed. <laughs> um, and then the, the conversational AI chatbot, which um, uh, escalated to a live human. And um, you know, this particular telco had to hire another 450 agents just to manage that. So there's a whole lot of spurious claims going on, you know, this tech vendor rhetoric. Um, and I think, you know, coming back to the conversation intelligence, the, probably two, two, three years ago, I did a project with a, a tier one UK bank. And um, I looked at 10,000 web chats. And I asked the bank uh, for the full transcript. So this this was went through the chatbot. It escalated to a, a human, and I said, well, "Can I get an equal mix of um, promoters, NPS promoters, and detractors?" And what was absolutely fascinating when you talked to the bank that, "Oh yeah, we only have maybe two percent channel shift. We have you know ninety eight percent containment rate." And then you look at the data, um, and, and this, I think, this was really when things clicked for me. 35.5% of all detractors at this bank could never have that intent resolved in the chatbot to live chat channel. Mm. So a third of well, more than a third of all detractors, the most dissatisfied customers at this bank, couldn't ever have that specific intent. But they're being rooted there through the chatbot to human, and nobody was going, hey, we need to fix this. You know, the, the classic principle of um, triage, really. You know, mm. you know, we can dive into that. And so some of these are things like fraud. Can't resolve fraud over chatbot in, in a UK bank because of the legislation and the processes. No bank can do that. You can't even do it in branch now. <laughs> yeah. If you go to the branch, you have to you have to phone, which is bonkers. So you can't resolve fraud. There's a dedicated fraud line. If you take money out of an ATM and you know whatever, you don't get the right cash or it doesn't come out in an ATM dispute, cash machine dispute. If you direct debit indemnity, you know, a whole bunch of kind of problematic things, you can't fix them. And the agents on live chat can't fix them. And I was just thinking, this is just madness. Why, why wouldn't you identify the intent and then put some triage solutions? So you, you take the customer and, you know, let's talk about seamless journeys. It's mm. a bit of a spurious term, I think, as well. But, you know, say to the customer, hey, no, you want to fix this, but we can't do this on live chat. Now, I know live chat's, you know, chat's convenient. If you're free, click here and we'll phone you straight away. If you're, if you're chatting whilst on a WebEx or something on a Teams call, click here to schedule your call, right? Mm -hmm. And some Gartner research that says, you know, if, if you make it seamless, there's no effort for the customer in that channel switch. Customers aren't annoyed. And this, this, the level needed of orchestration, you know, intent level orchestration, it sits above 
the conversation design. I mean, I, I, conversation designers are absolutely brilliant, but they have quite a most have like a, a very tight remit. You know, these are the intents design design these conversational flows, and it's that piece above. You know, kind of the orchestration triage layer that I think as, as we move from chatbots to more voice AI for full resolution, that, that's the piece that really that needs attention. Because people are just mm. tickling, tickling around the edges of voice AI. No one's really, no one really has the ball. Sorry. The, the, yeah, that makes sense. And, and- yeah, I mean, it's most of the time it's a much bigger job to do that, isn't it? And and although that's I think where everyone should really start is what is the incoming contact across your channels? What are the high level intents and sub intents that customers have? What's the best way of resolving that? Independent of conversational AI, what's the best way of resolving that? And do we have that solution today? And if we do, what's that? What channel is that? And so you're kind of mapping together the 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 intent by the right channel in the ideal channel to resolve it on. And then you're kind of orchestrating your journeys appropriately, isn't it? Do you think that is good? Stepping back a few steps a minute where you were, you were talking about the, the vendors that were, you know, over promising, we're going to automate X percent of your calls. We're going to help you kind of uh, redistribute or ship off X percent of your staff, all that kind of stuff. Is the, the kind of failure to be able to do that and to failure to deliver on that, based on kind of what we're just discussing here, which is a, a fundamental misunderstanding of the kind of use cases that the business has yeah. and the the overconfidence in being able to automate things that either legislatively or otherwise couldn't or shouldn't be automated. I, I, I think partly it's partly that, but I think it's an ownership and a bandwidth Issues. So if I think about not just, you know, a chatbot probably owned by a digital team, also owns some self-service journeys, you have your, your IVR solution with all the different varied disposition codes, and that often might report to a chief data scientist, digital team reports over here, contact center, um, got your IT team, and then you've got marketing who owns socials, you know. Um, and it's a bandwidth and an ownership issue because really, to and I, exactly what you said, what's the best way of resolving this intent? And everybody collectively and people hate collaborating because it's it's outside the day job. I don't get paid extra. It's an extra in my, in my normal day job doesn't go away. Um, but it's so you really need this proper cross-functional collaboration and it sounds all a bit wishy-washy so let, let me give you an example mm-hmm. because if if you take any shipping company um let, you know ups or something it probably wouldn't be a surprise to say about 30 at least 30 percent of all inbound contact let's just take the t- telephone is where's my where's my parcel okay mm-hmm. I think that was, you know, i'm sure probably more than 30 percent. but you know let, let's go with 30 percent now, where's my parcel is obviously the high-level intent category. And then there's a huge long tail of, of probably 80 sub-intents. Each of them 
has a different resolution and there is a different place to resolve each of those. So if there's a, hey, where's my parcel? And there's a one-shot, you know, API, you know, lookup after authentication and the delivery is still out. Irrespective in UPS Canada and Human First, which I think you you spoke to Gregory. Uh, a while yeah, ago. yeah, no, Human First. They, they, yeah. They've done some absolutely incredible work for for, for the to, to lay the groundwork for UPS, the conversation intelligence side of things. So, you know, if it's hey, where's my parcel and the deliveries today? Irrespective of where that journey starts, socials, Twitter, Facebook Messenger, live chat, telephone, the customer gets a, a code which takes you to an uber style tracking app where you can follow this little brown fan you know <laughs> now, it's absolutely perfect if the subintent is hey you know this is on the long term hey you said you left my parcel with a neighbor but my neighbor said he doesn't have it and the photo of the neighbor's driveway is not my neighbor's driveway that requires an absolutely different resolution which is an agent needs to contact the driver and the driver needs to say, hey, actually, I left it, you know, over here. Mm -hmm. um, and so unless companies map out all of these sub-intents and say, you know, and this is, this, is, this is the really key message, meet the customer in their channel of choice, this kind of tech vendor message, you know, the omni-channel consolidation vendors love this, meet the customer <laughs> in their channel of choice but triage the hell out of it and resolve it in your place of preference. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's an incredible, incredibly powerful message. UPS Canada are doing it. Um, AT&T, uh, they're doing some great work with TalkMap. Um, there's um, Bank of America. And, you know, let's, I mean, back to this example of this uh, tier one bank in the UK. I mean, when when you dive down into the minutiae of they had a it was a live person installation with a Watson NLU, you know, perfect, mm -hmm. perfectly great piece of tech. It's not a tech issue, but they only had 110 intents. Then you look at the IVR disposition code list, there are 180 contact users. <laughs> and then you look at the number of self-serve journeys available. On, once you're logged in, authenticated on the website, about 420. <laughs> you, know, right? so you, got four, you know, if you've got a team who's done 420 self-serve journeys, the IVR team has done this, and when when you dive into the data, um, in, interestingly, fraud, the, the the volume of fraud um, calls was about eight percent in the bank. It's about sixteen percent of airtime because these are really long, nine hundred mm. second calls. You could never automate that. Mm. But um, so fraud often has a dedicated phone number. But when you look at some of the other categories, now they're up to 50% incorrect. So if, you know, and there are multiple intents per, per contact, and that's not reflected. So if you're, if you're building your customer contact strategy off your IVR data, that's, that's the worst place to start. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, there's a, um, I know there was a big, can't mention the name, but a large German insurance firm did some great work with Cognigy. And uh, what they did for six months was just collect data. So they, they, 
they did a, is it a SIF transfer or something? But basically, they just, through the normal IVR, they just transferred 5% of all calls. And essentially, the the, the question was, in your own words, obviously, Joe, in your own yeah. words, um, in your own words, please describe what you're looking to achieve today or something like that. Yeah. And, and then you've got the absolute perfect data set. I mean, you know, from I think they had 20 million calls per year. So, you know, 5% of that for six months gives you the absolute perfect data set to then say, hey, what's going on? And yeah. so this is, you know, again, I'm not trying to coin any terms, but intent level intelligence is really, you know, I think it, it's, it's needed. And, um, not of you know if you look at speech analytics installations today almost every company is still doing the quality assurance automation you know the box checking you've got some data scientists playing around looking at you know call types and what's going on but i think to as as we as we look at you know the failings from chatbots and we say hey in 10 years time if you ask an op, an, op, um, an operational contact center leader when someone phones your operation will they speak to a robot or a human mm. invariably the answer is robot but then you say well how do you get there and they kind of go, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's the it, and i think the, the base the basis is this intent level intelligence you know you've got to define your intent taxonomy so when someone comes through you know, I mean, if you look at, uh, here's a good example, British Gas um, in the in the UK last year put out, um, say innocuous, a very well-intentioned advert, you know, if, you're, if your home boiler breaks down, give us a call and we'll come and fix it. And it had like a British Gas guy in a little, you know, British Gas outfit with a toolbox and stuff. Um, that advert garnered 7,300 Facebook comments public facebook comments and there's a, a marketing team somewhere i think in manchester or liverpool who you know they can offer a trite profuse apology um but when when you dive into it 22 percent i'm not sure i really believe the customer but 22 percent of customers when i did some analytics on this it's all public data i just did it mm. i was interested wasn't a paid project. Um twenty-two percent of all of those comments were we've got no heating. Or actually, it was adult children saying, Hey, my parents have no heating, you've let them down. Right. So twenty-two percent of all customers. And again, what's needed here is is no, no agent can respond to seven thousand damn mm. Facebook comments, and then you've got your direct message. So um, there are solutions out there. You know, Sprinkler is a, a CCAS system. Mm. You spoke to um, so Ruben from Centio CX or Ronald? Sorry, Ronald. Oh yeah, Ron. It? Yeah, Ronald. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ron. Um, he, he, he has a triage plugin. There's a brilliant guy, um, a small startup you might have come across called Sentisum. So right. uh, Sharad runs that. And so these are offering little triage plugins where it will say, you know, it automates it. Hey, you know, 
that the these comments. I sent you a, a personal direct message. Um, you know, we'll pick it up there. Sorry about this. And again, so there's a level of intent, level of intelligence. What is the resolution? Well, if it's I've got no heating, there's a very specific thing, right? Phone number or mm -hmm. whatever that solution is. If it's hey, I've got a problem with my bill, it's it's a very separate resolution. And and again, these are now private DMs automated from this triage bot. And I think that's this it's omnichannel. It's it's like an omni shambles. It's <laughs> it's, 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 it's a disaster programs. I mean, look at um Virgin Atlantic has turned off WhatsApp entirely because they looked at the data and after a year of offering WhatsApp to Virgin Atlantic customers, the level of traffic on self-serve journeys went down 50% because essentially maybe customers were a bit lazy. And you know, if I've already got an authenticated WhatsApp, I'm not going to then go back online to try and, you know, you know, change my flight manually. I'm just going to message someone. Um, EasyJet, again, just has a closed chatbot with no agent escalation because they were just inundated. And I think perhaps the most prolific example, obviously I know the UK examples, is Sky, which is a 16 billion pound, you know, mega corporation. Three years ago, they turned off live, well, they turned off chatbots and live chat indefinitely. Mm. If you've, you know, and I checked it a couple of weeks ago. The Sky app um, has no conversational AI, but Sky is an absolute exemplar. It's the exemplar, I would say, that I've seen anywhere of brilliant self-serve journeys. It's absolutely brilliant. You can you can probably fix ninety-five percent by following mm. quite decent instructions. If unless you want, unless you want to cancel. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> that's not self-service at all if you if you're logged in on the sky website through your desktop you know laptop whatever there is a chat bot which is quite interesting and it's a very good faq bot with very very good intent recognition and it just roots you the self-service journey mm. on the website there's no chat it's 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 the least chatty chatbot ever but it's damn effective because again you've built these self-service journeys you know you use them you know i think it's mm. so um and i think the you know i think it's you got to figure out your intent taxonomy you got to get this cross-functional team together which is it's a bandwidth issue and i think you know um I've said this a couple of times and it's probably been taken the wrong way, but this isn't an artificial intelligence problem. This is a human intelligence problem. Well, it's a human bandwidth problem, I think, mm -hmm. uh, because no one has, no one owns it and no one has the spare capacity to, to start getting involved in things that they don't own. Mm -hmm. And I think then the third thing is, again, you know, triage, you know, figure out, you know, you said, what's the best way of resolving this? What is the single best way to resolve this? So meet the customer in their channel of choice, and then let's resolve it in our in our place of preference. And and the, the tech the tech exists there. Um, so again, it's it, it's not really a technology issue. It's this what do you call it intent level orchestration. So you've got your conductor. Mm -hmm. 
the front of the orchestra and it's it's everything it's your socials your voice um and, and figure out what do we what do we do with this it's not like the digital team sitting in isolation over here and i think that's part of a problem as well where they don't have a remit to own inbound and even contact centers don't have the remit over your marketeers and your social teams so i think it's the silo you know, it's answer your question it's a very long answer mm. that's your question before i think it's the siloed structure the lack of ownership of these different teams and the human bandwidth and maybe the will because everyone's going oh my god i'm just just going to keep my head down and <laughs> you know, i try to avoid the shit store yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but you know if you're gonna if you're gonna do voice ai properly this this is the this is the place i think people need to get to really yeah i think it's it's any type of ai in any channel really you know like it's a lot of the stuff that you were saying earlier on there is very reminiscent of uh matt dixon and the effortless experience which you know is very big on kind of <clears throat> the cha- the channel where a customer issue should be resolved should be the channel that is best suited to resolving that issue rather than the channel that the customer happens to be on if i'm on facebook messenger just because i'm on facebook messenger doesn't necessarily mean that we should try and resolve everything on facebook messenger um so i think definitely definitely agree with that and definitely agree with the whole kind of you know starting from the point of view of mapping your intents and then figuring out what the best solution that you have already in place to 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 fix those needs and then if you do want to automate certain channels then you automate the getting people to the right place maybe some things are are simple enough or straightforward enough or or, uh, even preferenced to be automated in a conversational fashion perhaps um what are your what is your thoughts on so you mentioned their sky closing down live chat you mentioned easyjet closing down live chat virgin shutting off whatsapp that's kind of i would say in in my kind of observation is almost counter to the trend the trend uh, there's another trend which is actually a lot of companies are trying to open up these channels trying to open up more asynchronous channels and in fact actually some of them you mentioned decathlon before we started and also um you mentioned the german insurance company there's also a german airline forget the name of it now which is both of which have closed their contact centers closed their foot their call center rather and they've shifted all of the telephony uh traffic to asynchronous messaging channels there's a number of companies who i'm who i know of who at the moment are having they either have live chat or a chatbot and they're debating or working towards moving to more asynchronous channels like like whatsapp what's your kind of response to that because there's like two trends going on isn't there one is that people are shutting down the asynchronous channels because they're not working the other is that some of them are trying to get into those asynchronous channels because the live channels are difficult it's fascinating and and so my my i'd say my thinking has how's it evolved you know again i I, you know look at the data and that that you know the data says well this is what's going on so the sky thing i was like oh it's retrograde i mean how can they turn off their chatbot but you know i think they needed six you know despite being a um almost 20 percent opex reduction by the uh rather exuberant sales guy who leaded the pitch um you know i think sky ended up having to hire four five hundred extra live chat agents to handle the let's call it overspill or failover i think is mm. bad fit. technology so you know, 
I think it's all around execution. So if I, you know, um, if I, I, um, I keep changing energy companies deliberately so I can prod and poke their different, um, <laughs> I think I've got about eight UK bank accounts because I keep trying to break the chatbot. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. uh, it's a bit of a, a ridiculous hobby I have. Um, but it, I know, it's probably not fair to mention them then because I think that none of them are particularly great. But, uh, you know, through WhatsApp, it took two days to authenticate me through WhatsApp. Um, and then once authenticated, it was like our agents are very busy. We, we aim to respond to you within three days. You know, so I'm typing, hey, gas leak, gas leak, <laughs> trying to see any triage capabilities. And no, no, there wasn't. Um, so I think it's about execution. T-Mobile in the States, I know years ago, three, four years, or maybe even five years ago, have had brilliant success with their retail shop sales staff using WhatsApp to handle customer queries. So I think it's very context dependent. You look at a separate energy company who has grown from nothing to the second biggest energy company in the UK, which is Octopus mm. Energy. Look at Octopus, it's now a chatbot. They have a brilliant email triage. I mean, uh, I'm actually astounded at how good they are. I moved into, I moved home about six, seven weeks ago. Some horrific gas meter fitted with like a 1990s prepay card meter, which <laughs> you can't even buy the card anymore. <laughs> and um, I said, look, they got someone to come out the same day, I found in the morning, and by 4 p.m. they had changed the entire gas meter. Mm. That that wouldn't have happened with any other energy company. And that's over email, email, and then a couple of phone calls. So I think it, it, it's context dependent. I think if you're having a sales conversation, um, I think WhatsApp is very, very good. I think there's there's a there's a new breed. You know, if you if you come across Glia, G L I A, or Unblue, I don't know if it's B L U B L U E. So these are. I mean, Genesis and Variant have similar offerings, but they're being pitched as collaborative browsing or co-browsing. It's a bit more advanced than when the IT, you know, techie takes over your laptop when you've mm. screwed everything up. But when you look at the data, if you're selling a mortgage or you have a very high value, you know, um, investment customer, collaborative browsing, the conversion rates are 40, 50% as opposed to self-serve. So I think... There are, I think it's, it's it's back to that thing, you know, what, what's the best way of resolving this? And I think you know, we often focus on the customer experience use case. Um, but I think from a, from a revenue perspective, I think hope collaborative browsing is, is definitely something that, that the finance companies absolutely are looking at this. Mm. Um, but yeah, See, from my personal experience of really terrible chatbots, and it's not the conversation design, it's, it's, it's again, it's that orchestration, or lack of intent recognition. Um, mm. I, I think, I think some, some people have become a di bit disheartened by it. 
um, some companies, obviously they've switched off. Is it retrograde? I think it's, it's, it's only the enterprise firm and the leadership can, can decide whether it's right. But I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the hype uh, and, you, and you know, we can all read off probably five horrific chatbot examples. Mm. Again, over the next three to five years, if people, you know, the kind of stuff, you know, we, we, we've talked about, people aren't doing the groundwork of this intent level intelligence. You know, you've got to probably collate 3,000 intents with all of the sub-intents here and say, hey, like UPS, you know, where where is the single best place to resolve this? Well, if you really want to do more of a telephony, and start even looking at ripping out IVR rather than just a little transfer and keeping your legacy infrastructure. You're going to have to do this. Otherwise, it's just it's just bolting on more complexity, and it, and I don't think it's it's not fixing anything. Um, mm. And you know, and the companies, the you know, the, the, if you look at uh, how. I haven't had a chance to look at all of them, but if you look at um, the websites from Amelia and Omelia, yeah. um, they, they all have now this, hey, these are our three pillars of you know strategy. One of them is conversation. I think even in Omelia, sorry, are calling it conversation intelligence. So the, the conversational AI firms are recognizing this. And a live person bought voice base for i think about 40 million mm -hmm. i think they quite figured out how to execute on that and get the insights from the voice channel but i think that was the plan um dial pad which you might know huge mm -hmm. cps provider over in the states yeah and they bought um talk iq from dan o'connell and they've done a brilliant job integrating that so now they've got this really good predictive csat you know capability where they can just look at the interaction and say with about 90% confidence, is the customer going to be really pissed off or not? Mm. Um, I think that, you know, and, and to give live person credit, they, they don't actually have a, they don't make too much noise about it now, but um, I think they were quite visionary in having what they called the meaningful conversation score, MCS, mm. mm -hmm. which I think, that, you know, it's basically a sentiment it's, it's a bit deeper than sentiment analytics, but uh, you know, it's trying to gauge. You know, can we can we gauge is the customer happy or not? Yeah. I think. Um, that, I mean, you mentioned Matt Dixon before, so he, mm -hmm. he Matt Dixon and his I shouldn't call him his sidekick. So Matt's <laughs> the conversation scientist. Ted you get credit. Nick, Nick Torman and Rick Delisi. And yeah. the other two offers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so there's the, oh, well, they wrote, uh, they wrote the book. But at yeah. Tether, um, so Rick Delisi is at that firm Glia that I mentioned. So, oh, Rick right, is okay. in charge of all of their um, kind of thought leadership insights. So, he's a brilliant, fascinating, brilliant guy. But um, so, Matt and Ted McKenna, so Ted McKenna is the chief, was the chief data scientist. Matt was the, did all the behavioral economics, behavioral analytics at Tether. And so, they, they, Essentially, they codified the customer effort score. Um, yeah. like marking your own homework is very clever because, of course, we've created them the metric and we're going to measure things against that. Um, but I think there's there's Heather, um, there's there's a company um, in Hungary called Extroid, and they've done a really good job on their kind of getting this intent level intelligence. And then one mm. of my one of my favourite people around is uh, a Serbian 
professor called Danica. She's got two PhDs <laughs> and she runs a, a company called Sentient Machines. So I think there are some companies getting this, getting this right. But th there's the conversational AI firms, um, Boost AI, have partnered, uh, just recently announced, I think over the summer, partnered with Coal Miner. So again, mm. as I think Boost have gone right, we need to start really nailing voice analytics and getting yeah. working. And I think Coal Miner bought a company as well who offers uh, SIP transfer, so you, you know the possibility of replacing IVR. So I think that partnership is going to be really 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 effective so there's mm. some interesting thing interesting things going on and i think i've absolutely repurposed your question and moved away from <laughs> is it is it a recommended option to go with whatsapp or not and i my my experiences with sky have been great my experiences with uh, my new because i keep changing energy companies mm. with um octopus energy you know, the, the the, not the boiler, the gas meter being replaced oh, within three, seven hours of me saying, hey, I've got no gas. <laughs> that is impressive. I mean, it's well, the thing absolutely that... incredible. Yeah. And, and oh, the... I, don't know, I don't know chatbots. They have a place, but it's, it's the architecture. You know, I think very.co.uk, when they introduced all their chatbots, they, they looked at their online, this was about four years ago, looked at their online um, FAQ traffic, and the chatbot just cannibalized the traffic to the FAQ website. So it, it, it wasn't augmenting anything. It was just mm. cannibalizing the traffic. So it, it really depends is the answer. It's a crappy yeah. answer. No, it's, it's a fair enough answer. It's, it sounds as often your experiences recently that the, the companies that have delivered good service have arguably done that maybe not in sky's case but certainly in octopus's case a heavy reliance on the people and so i suppose the challenge still oh, yeah. for for businesses is that as business grows whether that's you know you mentioned there the retailers loads of retailers had tremendous growth of online shopping during the pandemic Generally speaking, you know, although a lot can be said for the economy right now and stuff like that, but lots of industries are still growing. As the population increases, government services get more placed under more demand. As the population increases, more people need bank accounts, more people need insurance, more people need cars, you know, more people buy more stuff. And so, like, things don't necessarily show any signs of sort of stopping and slowing down. And maybe the the role of people, it sounds, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds as though in Octopus Energy's case, the role of its people is a differentiating factor. However, Octopus Energy will still no doubt have lots of stuff going on that are sort of less valuable than than your use case. So in your use case, you need a new energy meter. Octopus Energy are going to be able to um, get a lot of more data, presumably from you, if they up, if, if they upgrade your meter. They're going to get, deliver a good service to you, which presumably might mean that you may stick around rather than switching and switching all the time. So they're incentivized to kind of help you with that stuff that might kind of enable them to generate more revenue. There mm. may be use cases there for Octopus and for others that maybe won't add as much value to them. And so as their business starts to grow 
every business has got to deal with this 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 stuff that they'd rather not deal with (laughs) and the stuff that they'd like to deal with the stuff they'd like to deal with is all the loyalty stuff the sales stuff the you know Mm. cancellations don't cancel keep hold of us the stuff they don't particularly like to deal with is the kind of this the -the run-of-the-mill general contact demand and it seems as though that's potentially where you know some of the low-hanging fruit is perceived to be as far as conversational ai and, and automation and stuff like that um where do you see the place for conversational automation, regardless of channel? You know, if you if, if it's a business leader today hearing this and they're thinking, okay, I need to get a handle on my intent, I need to figure out what the best channel and best journey is. How would you assess whether what you, whether a use case is appropriate to be automated in a conversational fashion versus not? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a brilliant question. Uh, let's start with the data, and I, I would certainly ignore your IVR disposition code. Data. Mm. <laughs> so, um, and I know uh, this. This I mentioned this bank. Tier, I can't say who it is, but Tier Tier One, one of the you know nine biggest UK banks. Sixty-two um, percent <clears throat> of all of their telephony. So they have. I can't remember if it's twelve or fourteen million calls per year, but sixty-two percent of all their inbound telephony to, um, you know, general inquiries loans and savings so mortgages and stuff and you know they're, they're outside of that um 62 are literally banking transactions you know move money mm. transfer money make a payment check a status of a, something else balance it's not really balance inquiry but really basic i mean they are transactions um and so I would say, what are your, not containable, I hate the term containment, because, again, people can really fudge the data and fudge the numbers on that, but what are the resolvable intents without human intervention? Maybe with, you know, a very simple one-shot API lookup to some kind of database. I know Amelia are very good at, kind of double shot multiple complex Mm. um cases but you know with a you know once you're authenticated just checking some real real simple details um of that 62 percent let's say say six you know six seven million phone calls how much of that could you realistically automate well theoretically all of it, right? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing, uh, and I won't, I won't say the numbers, but the companies, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, full resolution um, from voice AI. I'm seeing about 18% is kind of being at the highest companies are getting to um, of, and it depends how you measure it. Is, so is it 18% of all resolvable intents or are you measuring it as 18% of all in bank because not everything is mm. on this bank, not fraud as we talked about. You you can't you can't resolve that through um, through, through automation. So I, th- I think that the only thing that matters in any company is rather than saying, "Hey, we, you know, we we've you, know, you might have an intent recognition." Again, depending, you know, if you, if you believe the tech vendors out of the box, mm-hmm. it's never ninety two percent, ninety three percent. It's like seventy. Mm. you know but if you train it and and, and you get it there you, you, you can definitely hit 90 percent 
intent recognition. And so you've got this funnel. So there's intent recognition. You know, is it containable? Are we able to resolve it? So at the bottom of that funnel, I'm, I'm seeing about 18% in some big enterprise firms. Mm-hmm. Could you get that to 25%? Probably. And so again, I'm talking about voice. Um, yeah. Uh, could you get to 30, 40%? I don't know. Um, and are you talking there? Are you talking thirty percent of all use cases? So in a hundred use cases, there's thirty use cases or eighteen yeah. use cases. Or are you talking about just volume of traffic? Uh, yeah, so, so, I, I, so, so, so I can, yeah, so it's based on volume. So let's say you know, there were, right. I mean, when we're doing pilots, we haven't taken fourteen million calls because it's terrifying. You know, we, we've transferred we've transferred five percent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, in fact, we, the first one we just did ten. You know, and poly AI are brilliant at this, you know, just kind of getting it right, getting the confidence and and, and building things up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so it's of all inbound traffic. Um, and so counting it's it could we resolve that customer's query or, or intent or in fact they might have multiple intents, which gets a bit messy. It's a bit, a bit trickier. Um, but again, you look at um probably shouldn't mention it, but a big, big leading, big leading telco, 18% of all of their customers on voice have more than one intent to resolve. So, you know, you really got to, you've, you've got to understand what the hell's going on. And I think the way companies are structured with speech analytics sitting over here, and being a quality assurance, you know, quality monitoring role, I, I think I think you need you need a, a separate, not central intelligence agency because that's not the right <laughs> call intelligence agency. We need something to that isn't focused on on you know quality assurance. It's it's absolutely different, and there's. Um, and I keep mentioning all these random companies. I'm not affiliated with any. I just you know, <laughs> I think if someone does a great job, they need to be name checked or something. But there's um, I came across them about a year and a half ago. A company called TalkMap, um, mm. and they are they're fascinating because they are a brilliant speech analytics, conversation intelligence provider who don't do QA automation. They don't. They don't do any agent assessment because they're mm. that's not really that's not you know we're here to, to nail this and i think i can't remember if they're working with at or bank of america you know they they're doing brilliant brilliant work on on the on the groundwork really and i mm. think that's I'm just answering my own question now, sorry. Yeah, but yeah. No, it sounds, it sounds a bit like Symbol. I've come, come across Symbol, Symbol AI before. Yes, yeah, they're very good. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah, it sounds a bit like what they're doing. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, the, ho- the whole sort of, um, the whole space of conversation analysis is something that is, um, it, for people who are conversation analysts, you know, we're, I, we're, I was speaking to Liz Stocko, she's going to be on the podcast oh, yeah, coming up she, in she, the next... Really? Yeah, oh, this she's is absolutely amazing. brilliant. She's, she, she's going to be on the on the, on the show um, coming up. And, like, for people like her who are, like, that's that's her remit, and Bob Moore and stuff from IBM, like, their remit is conversation analysis, and that's kind of their their pedigree, yeah. their education. And then, and then potentially even people like yourself, you know, like, you, you come into the world of, of the kind of conversational automation and straight away you're like well 
this is all a conversation analysis problem. <laughs> you know, it's like if you really can extract the insights from your conversations, one at the highest level, which is what intents are what, what's your subintents, and then map those to the right kind of channels. But then yeah. two is even within the dialogue around a specific use case, how do you make that an effective conversation? You know, yeah. so there's there's so much to be learned through conversation analytics, and I think that companies seemingly from you know from what you've been discussing. It's kind of getting there. Companies are starting to wake up to to this this fact that, that conversation analytics is absolutely crucial to to both your automation and to your human kind of um, kind of resources. Um, what is your thoughts on um, a lot of the technology that exists around conversation intelligence? Part of it, from a research perspective, is largely manual. So on the research side, conversational analysis is, is a lot of just reviewing actual transcripts and, you know, reviewing them manually and stuff like that. That's obviously not scalable from an enterprise standpoint. Yeah. A lot of the, the a lot of the kind of solutions that are in play today are based on intents and categorizing intents, which is based on more the kind of like yeah. intent based NLU systems. What are your thoughts on the kind of generative AI, large language model kind of technologies and and whether they are useful in this kind of task. I don't know if you've done any any experimentation oh. with conversation analysis specifically when it comes to large language models and stuff like that. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's invaluable and massively underutilized today. Um, so let, let's, let's go back to banking example. But, <laughs> and there's a brilliant, and it's almost a meme floating around online. It's, super public so we can and we're not poking from a paper but if you type in paypal i've been scammed oh yeah um you might think yeah <laughs> yeah, 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 no, yeah, yeah there are hundreds of screenshots of this thing and so someone's messaging the paypal chat but hey paypal hi i've been scammed <laughs> and he goes amazing yeah <laughs> right um but what's funny is if, because you know, I said, I, I think I've got six, but seven UK bank accounts, and I'm trying to break their, um, their chat box. You type in, hey, um, my card has been blocked. They, they generally get that. If you say, can you unblock my card? They don't understand. Mm. Um, if you type in, hey, I've experienced fraud, because they, they, it's very, it's far too basic. They're looking at the single utterance of the word. Yeah. Fraud. If you type in, I've been defrauded, not one single UK bank picks that up. They don't. <laughs> so you go, well, and then you go, well, so the, the, the purpose of your large language models, um, you know, what you call it, semantic similarity. So I've been defrauded, I've been scammed, I've been done over, I've been hoodwinked. Hmm. Hoodwinked? Somebody <laughs> 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 didn't say hoodwinked. Maybe me, right? But uh, so... You know, the the value in in well in your conversation design is and in your conversation intelligence is I want to know everything that is semantically similar and synonymous with fraud, and and you could and not just single phrases. You know, I've been done over. You know, it's probably you know talking a long tail, one in a hundred thousand, but it might be there. Mm. And so unless you're using some kind of approach, and I haven't seen any, again, uh, talk map, I think human first is probably the absolute mm. exemplar in, in this world. of Because, I mean, I've used them on projects, 
and you say, hey, here's what I want to find. And he goes, I have no idea how it works, by the way. Mm -hmm. and goes, right, here are all of your examples of I've been defrauded. And oh, God, oh, wow. mm. you have. Um, and the, the, I think this is removing the need for this manual coding. We need to know mm. what to look for. And I think there's so much... I think it, 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 we might need a separate conversation around emotion AI because there's mm. so much, there's just a rise of immature AI in the mm. content center. Now, so you've got empathy dashboards. So you think about this bank, 62% you know, are transactional banking queries, but the agents have an empathy target mm. and an empathy dashboard. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry you want to move money from an account. It must be awful for you. you know, how can you benefit empathy in a transactional conversation? But yeah. the, um, I think what what a lot of these firms, again, Matt Dixon and, and his colleagues, probably the only ones who really get this, is things like, uh, I think it was Ted McKenna coined this phrase, powerless to help, which is brilliant. Yeah. And it generally sounds like, um, oh, I, yeah, I'm so sorry. I wish I could do more. But the only thing I could suggest is say, uh, I know we damaged your floor uh, with our John Lewis delivery, but you need to contact the shipping company. That's mm. So, you know, that's a toxic, and it's not channel shift, it's onus shift, onus of responsibility shift. Okay, John Lewis, 62% online ranting complaints are down to huge um, white good and TV deliveries. So it's 4% mm. of group revenue, 62% of all ranting. And it's because of this ownership shift where John Lewis is saying, hey, look at this. So there's so much to understand. Um, you know, lack of certainty on timescales. Uh, when I've done work with Thames Water, Angling Water. Statistically, the single biggest driver of dissatisfaction is not a lack of politeness and empathy. It's a lack of certainty on timescale. So it's, you know, I'm standing in the garden, surrounded by, the guy didn't say raw sewage, but I'm standing in the garden, there's raw <laughs> sewage everywhere. How long are you going to be? Oh, we won't be too long, sir. <laughs> you know, yeah. oh, we'll be there as soon as we can. And this customer goes, well, soon? How soon is soon? Oh, I couldn't possibly say. <laughs> so measuring the right things is, is from, and it's people like Matt Dixon, Liz Stoko. Liz has a, a colleague, Saul Albert, who's a yeah. professor up in Loughborough. Saul's amazing guy. They get it. And I think a lot of the, the conversation designers actually get it, but they probably don't have the opportunity to influence what's going on. Whereas the... JavaScript coders and data scientists today who often own these speech analytics installations, as great as they are at Python coding, they don't get it. And there's, mm. um, I don't know if, we, if, we, if we've got time just for one little yeah, yeah. Uh, snippet. So um, I really can't say the name, but uh, there's, a, there's a large contact center. And this is, this is a while ago. It, it, and this was when I made a, a kind of a, an, an intentional pivot from manual kind of conversation analytics in, hey, there's, you know, I think you need, you need to up your game and understand the AI world a bit better. Mm -hmm. so there was a variant installation and it was measuring agent behaviors. So it was a big call center in Dundee, about 1,200,000, 1,200 people or something. And um, 
there was one person who wrote the source code for the Verint speech analytics system, 2016, 2017. And he was from Dundee. And I don't know if you know about the, the well, I'm sure you know, the football rivalry between Dundee and Glasgow. No, they hate each other. But in Glasgow, so if there were, in Glasgow, if you have, um, if you're brought up there and you develop a colloquial, not colloquialism, they kind of, verbal tics so it's very common for someone in glasgow to say you know no not a problem no problem to be fair to be honest mate right so the guy the javascript code up in dundee went all right we've got a load of glaswegians in alcohol center in dundee i don't like him so he basically coded in provincial xenophobia into the speech analytics system <laughs> someone in his call center said no problem they got a red mark on their dashboard and they were, wow. they were it was it was interesting it was an inverse measure so they were measuring confidence but you can't measure confidence per se so they were measuring the inverse so if you say words that aren't confident and so this guy what's his name had the freedom to codify whatever the hell he wanted so i, I lifted up the bonnet i worked with this company to help them get the right the right source coding so i think uh, you know you know i think it's quite rare to have provincial xenophobia coded into your system but you know <laughs> I, I remember I, I fell out a little bit with coal miner i used to um, work at capita and we had uh, twenty thousand agents and coal miner came along and we were looking at well can we measure you know you know what can we measure and they said oh well we can measure empathy mm. i was like great so how do you do that well, we listened for the, they didn't say this, but they said, they, we listened for the single utterance of the word, sorry. Mm. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, that's not empathy. And so, <laughs> just because, I think, it, but you've got, you know, but then you've got these beautiful dashboards and then you have these screen pops, you know, they're measuring talk speed and all this spurious stuff. You know, one of the, um, installations I've seen. I saw a demo. You know, it flashes up. Hey, slow down, Speedy. You're talking too fast. <laughs> you should be speaking at 120 words per minute. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> what do you do? With that? And then there's another one. Um, monotonicity. So, uh, again, that's you know the theory. I don't know who decided, but you should be talking like this and not in a monotone mm. voice. But when you've got call centers in quite a lot of agents in Eastern Europe or Poland, you know, um, we almost had mutiny because like 90% were kind of getting marked down from monotonicity. And this isn't xenophobia, mm. the system's just garbage and not, not measuring the right things. It's capable of measuring the right things. But, you know, we didn't have a Listoco, you know, the, the tech vendor doesn't have a Listoco mm. professor who, who can say, actually, that's garbage. Isn't isn't that half the problem though? Is that like these these tech companies don't have those expertise? It's a bit like you know with conversational AI. Every single conversational AI platform that you would ever see, the first thing that that you will be presented with when you first start to design or build an application is either a blank canvas or a, a, a place to list intents. Now, there's a very specific way in which you can craft dialogue 
in order for a conversation to be successful. But none of these platforms include any of it in their <clears throat> architecture. Same sort of thing with, with the conversation intelligence platforms. You know, The APIs are kind of there. I don't mm. want to disparage every single conversation analytics company, but because <laughs> some of them may have that kind of expertise. But like, there is tried and tested, proven research and practices that are, that exist around certain things like conversation analysis. And so it's almost like, how can you expect to build a product that serves the real, true needs that people should have if you don't have those expertise? Like, there's some companies that have so much influence on the contact center where they, like, for example, if Genesis went to any of their clients and said, "You need to start measuring empathy," or "You need to start measuring monotonality," like their, their recommendation carries a lot of weight, doesn't well, it? Yeah, yeah, it could well be grounded in absolute falsities and things that don't matter whatsoever, you know. So, I mean, we haven't spoken about this, but Tony Birch, uh, the Australian chief exec of Genesis, about two years ago, wrote a book on empathy. He co-authored a book. And and it was like, and everyone in Genesis was forced to swallow the empathy Bible. Empathy is the solution to your (laughs) snake problems. It's not me. In fact, there's a direct correlation between the number of profuse apologies and an inverse correlation sorry, with dissatisfaction. So mm-hmm. I remember the you know, energy company, you know, the agents, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just so sorry about this. I would be upset too if I had to, you know, cancel yeah. my Christmas. And then, <laughs> like, oh, sorry, you're not the one canceling Christmas. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, um, you know, empathy isn't the solution, isn't the CX saving. Yeah. It was an article that maybe. Okay, I'm, I'm yeah. I know. <laughs> <Some> <laughs> Empathy is not your CX savior. But um, I think, again, I I said it before very briefly, but the the level of expertise and knowledge in the in-house conversation design team around the nuances of human language far outstrips that, you know, held within the uh, data science team and the JavaScript coders and stuff who who are currently Mm. owning those platforms. And I think, you know, leveraging the internal resources, but yeah, out of the box, these things, these things never work. Um, I think, um, again, from a conversation intelligence, you know, some of the agent dashboards, you know, they say, use the customer's name twice. Like Vodafone in their sales, you know, their quality assurance says, you must use the customer's name twice. So they've got 3,000 agents being measured on, do you mm. use the customer's name twice? Yeah. That's mental. Who, who decided, who decided that? <laughs> well, no, it's like Emperor's New Clothes, no one challenges it, because yeah. there's no evidence to say it doesn't work well. There is. Um, but I think the the level of knowledge in the conversation design teams is is there, and I think somehow leveraging that is is important. But yeah, out, out of the box, these things rarely, rarely work. Um, I mean, mm. Nexidia, which for years reigned as the absolute best uh, speech analytics system there, principally because they used um, uh, phonemes rather than you know trying to trans- transcribe mm-hmm. the word. Um, you can probably explain that far better than I can. But they, um, you know, they they have their out of the box dashboard, and number one is thank customer for their loyalty. You have to say thank you for your loyalty. Um, and then, you know, number six on the dashboard is, you know, suggest customer uses self-serve options. And then 
And then there's another one, which is demonstrate ownership. Oh, brilliant, ownership, which should be something like, not a problem, I know we screwed up, but don't worry, through to Andy, I'm absolutely gonna nail this for you. I'm gonna look at a few options, might take me a while, so, but I guarantee I'm gonna fix this, you're in safe hands. Mm. That's ownership, and then obviously you have to fix it. Yeah, um, yeah. But if you go, I'd be delighted to resolve this for you today, Bing, you get a green tick in the box and you're all, <laughs> and then you go, I'm powerless to help. Yeah, so sorry. The only thing you can do is phone whatever. So mm. um, I think there's a lot of, yeah, I mean, this is a, probably a, a, a conversation for another day, but I think as average handling time has been steadily removed from the call center, certainly, you know, it used to be the crutch, which was to beat up all of the agents. The general decrease, there's absolutely a trend in not beating up agents on average handling time now. It's, yeah. it's, it's definitely a trend. I don't have any real data. But now, you know, your team leader who used to be on the phones last week needs something. So now these dashboards and these targets on, you know, you're not being empathetic, you're being monotonastic, and you're being all these things. <laughs> Because they need something to harass their agents with because mm. they don't really understand performance-based conversation. But I think this, that's a... Yeah. We're moving away from conversational AI to... Uh, <clears throat> it's still, it's still relative. Because the, yeah. The, the agents and, and the assistants work work hand-in-hand, hand, don't they? You know, And as we mentioned at the, at the beginning of the conversation, like the purpose of some of these conversational AI solutions really ought to be to route you to the right place. And that often is going to be the right agent with the right skills and the right power to be able to, to help you. I think some of them are um, powerless to help because of it's just process, isn't it? A lot of it's process and red tape and even procurement decisions. Like I, 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 um, very similar to, to the John Lewis example of, we, whenever we need blinds, whenever we've moved house and you need blinds, I've, we ended up kind of getting into ordering the blinds online. It's really straightforward. You just put your measurements in, place the order, and that's it. Most of the time, all the times I've done that in the past, most of the time the order gets to you probably in, I don't know, four weeks, three weeks, something like that. Yeah. This one time, fairly recently with this house, put the order in and... To be honest, because we were getting so much work done, I kind of forgot about it. And all of a sudden dawned on me, I thought, I'm going to need that blind soon. Where the hell is it? And so I ended up going, checking through my emails to try and find to see if I had any updates. The only email I ever got from the company was, thanks for your order. And that's it. No dispatch, no kind of like holding message to say, sorry, this is taking too long. I thought, what the hell? So I went back, uh, contacted them, rang them up in the end. And I was like, look, I've placed this order like probably a good 12 weeks ago and I've heard nothing since like where is it and then clicking around tapping about tapping around oh uh can't really say <laughs> I'm like what do you mean you can't really say how can you not say well the thing is you see we get the deliveries from China and there's a company in China that do it and so all we know is when we've sent the deliver the, the order to China we get an acknowledgement that the order has been received. But the next time that we hear about this, about anything, is when the uh, blind has been put onto the ship to be shipped. That's the, ne- that's the, le- the next time we hear. And then once we know it's been shipped, we can tell you. 
I was like, okay, so as far as you know, the order's been received in China, but you have no idea when it's going to be done, when it's going to be shipped, and when it's going to arrive. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, okay, so even if it had been put onto the ship, what's the next update that I would likely get? And they were like, well, once it's been shipped, we'll let you know that it's been shipped. And that, I said, well, so can you let me know a date? I'm like, well, no, we can't let you know a date. I was like, well, why not? I was like, well, we don't know how long it's going to take the boat to get it here. So the next update that you'll get will be when it goes to, when it gets put into the hands of the career. I was like, well, who's the career going to be? Well, I don't know because we use three different careers, so it could be any one of them. I was like, oh my god! So, but the, the the that issue of with businesses that use the issue really is the fact that this business really it's kind of like a dropshipping company fundamentally, and they use different businesses to fulfil their orders, and all of the retailers these days definitely use. The kind of delivery services. None of them have their own deliveries, apart from probably Amazon. Um, so they all use third parties. They're entirely dependent and reliant on those third parties. Yes. Those third parties, like the DHLs and Yodels of the world, etc., they kind of think that they've got their own customer base, and they think that they're the ones that need to provide the where is my order service. You know, DHL should provide that. Retailer mm-hmm. shouldn't provide. Whereas really, the relationship that the customer has is with the retailer. And so you go to the retailer because you place the order through the retailer. Yeah. Curry's did this all the time. I know we're on a bit of a rant now, but yes, Curry's used to... Ranting is good, keep going. <laughs> yeah, but Curry's did this all the time. What Curry's do, I don't know if they still do this, They you, place, you order something from Curry's and the whole service from the point of purchase is all done by a separate company called KnowHow. Mm-hmm. And... I think they might own know-how now. They might have bought them, I don't know. But the whole thing was outsourced to know-how. So from the second you're placing your order to figuring out when it's going to be delivered, and, and also you need, you need, know, if you buy like a washing machine, you want your old washing machine taken away and then sure. your new one delivered. So you need to know what day it's going to be because all this kind of stuff. Anyway, they could never tell you anything whatsoever. And then whenever you go back to Curry's and say, hey, what's going on? I don't know what's happening. They would always, 10 times out of 10, say, we can't do anything. It's not our problem. You've got to go and contact know-how. So then you're now in a, this brand new relationship with this brand new company that really doesn't care about you whatsoever. It's just delivering orders. And so it's like those companies believe potentially that they have these customer relationships and that you know they are the ones who should be providing the automation, the where is my order stuff. But really the journey comes from the retailer and should really be fulfilled by the retailer. It's a long-winded way of saying that the procurement decisions that companies make directly impact the customer experience. And you should really only make procurement decisions provided you can have control over the communication with customers throughout the whole journey. Yeah. I, I mean, so that exactly. So Curry's is a, a your guest, it's a, a UK electronics kind of, yeah. street, like, is it not Target? Like a, it's not target. quite Target. It's probably more like, in Europe, it's probably more like Euronics. In uh, America, it's maybe more like, Mm, I don't know what it is in America. It's not Target or Home Depot. It's more like a specific electronics store, isn't it? I don't know what yeah, they have yeah. in America, to be honest. I can't remember the name. But yeah, the, anyway. the question you mentioned is exactly the issue John Lewis is having. So, uh, and this is from you know public, publicly scraping sixty-two thousand odd um, public examples of ranting customers. So, you know, uh, when a John Lewis, which is a high-end department store in the UK. When they when they get annoyed, they write to the Guardian. The Guardian publishes their letters. They even have a section which is John Lewis complaints, which I find absolutely incredible. But the situation is onus shift. The onus of responsibility is pushed 
back to the customer to resolve. So in your cruise example, it's that third party distributor. And that is incendiary because, so again, was it 60, 62% of John Lewis online ranting scaled attractors are from the category of white goods and TV. So above 10 kilogram deliveries where the courier company has, has screwed up and it's, it's, you know, it's absolutely destroying, uh, destructive to, to the reputation of, you know, of John Lewis, because they're trying to compete on price. Um, but yeah, if you look at certainty, and again, you know, the speech analytics and most big enterprise firms don't measure this in their agent conversations, but, you know, just there's a continuum of, a continuum of certainty from absolutely, I give you my personal word, it's going to happen by this point, to I think the funkiest mate. I just haven't got to <laughs> And and then there are steps, you know. Then there's some kind of vague language like it should arrive, it might arrive, it, or hopefully it perhaps will arrive, you know. So that the end, the foggiest, uh, to you know, some vague language to absolute certainty. No, if you're going to measure something, measure that. And look mm. at uh, DPD or any of these. You know, I mean, we don't yet have the Uber style tracking apps, do we? For our shipping companies, but DPD, you know, I get a text and it says, you know, your delivery, and I love it, will arrive, will arrive. It doesn't say should be. It says mm. your delivery will arrive in, in very precise language, will arrive between 1341 and 1441 PM mm. today. Click here to have it stored in a safe place or whatever. Um, and I think the, perhaps, uh, not a tenuous segue, but talking about certainty on timescales, I think maybe one that, that, that I don't know if you're aware, but um, there's the biggest single CCAS contact center tender, um, probably not globally, but certainly in Europe, going through right now. It's 140 million pounds, and it's with um, Department of Work and Pensions, who handle um, obviously. All, all UK state pensions, but they've got 20 different, 19, so 19 different service lines of different benefits from universal credit, child tax credit, um, job seekers allowance, you know, child maintenance, all, all of these different things, um, disability benefits. Um, and they, they have, they're, they're, they've got a big Genesis system today. They have 60 million phone calls per year which is and they have 30 it's almost million. one call per person in the country bonkers. 30 well no i think eighteen thousand equivalent full-time agents but they have thirty thousand employees thirty thousand employees to handle 60 million phone calls mm. and actually, you know, that's like i'm gonna handle nine per day it's actually kind of those numbers don't mm-hmm. but um <laughs> And today, the system, you know, we talk about triage and things. I'm really following this with avid interest because 30% of all inbound calls are are basically, where's my money? You know, Mm -hmm. can I check the status of my payment? I'm supposed to be paid today. Is my payment still coming through? And... Today, and this isn't an issue this has followed. It's, it's been in, installed 14 years, right, this this system, and it's absolutely ready for for um, upgrading or um, replacement. And the, um, the, the, cur- the current system is 
next available agent. So yeah, we talked touched upon we touched upon also, mm. but we touched on triage and things earlier. This is just there's no prioritization. So you might have and these are true stories. You know, might have someone who's standing on the edge of a bridge whose payment hasn't come through with the kids announcing, if you don't, if you don't give me my money now, I'm going to jump. And these are real mm. world stories. Or a guy who's got no electricity, he can't shower, he hasn't had a bath for two weeks. Um, you know, really horrific, um, vulnerable customer stories versus the person who's at home phoning every hour, where's my money, where's my money? 30% of all calls are where's my money. Mm. Of the 60 million, you go, my God. If there's an opportunity for some proper automation, deflection, mm. Proactivity, even, just proactive. Like, don't wait for someone to contact you. If there's any issue, any delay, get a text message out, get an email out, get an automated phone call out. Just something that says, "Hey, your payments. This is what the status is." You know? Yeah, yeah. An automated phone call, which is a conversational phone call. I mean, yeah. so you're eliminating the need for customers to phone. I mean, would you get that sixty million? You know what? I mean, it'd be fascinating to see the tech. Tech vendor presentations. I mean, God, that would be amazing. And <laughs> every man and his dog is bidding for this. <laughs> yeah. But wouldn't it be fascinating? Because it's, you know, hey, we can reduce your 60 million to 10 million. <laughs> 10, yeah. Could 15. You, could you reduce it to 50 million? And actually, there's no OPEX saving. But what you're not doing is you're not killing your staff and stressing them. So mm. I think when if you do have a reduction in calls, you give that bandwidth to the agents. I don't, you know, but I mean, I, I've done some back of an envelope. I was going to say back of a fact back here, you can't say that. <laughs> back, of <an> <laughs> <laughs> back of an envelope calculation. And, you know, it's like quarter of a billion pounds OPEX paper saving over five years through natural agent attrition. I mean, there's, mm. you know, even if you, you know, your contact sensor installation is going to cost 140 million. But the OPEX savings are incredible because you, there's so much wastage in that. Mm. And uh, yeah, I th- I, it's, it's, it's definitely one to keep an eye on. And I think, um, yeah, it'd be absolutely fascinating to see what comes out. But it's a two year two year bidding process. Anyone who's bidding for that is uh, certainly in for the long haul, I think. Wow. For 140 million, I think you can probably uh, persevere for two years, couldn't you? <laughs> there you go. Definitely. Uh, nice. Anyway, Andrew, this has been absolutely immense. Thank you so much for joining oh, me. It's been uh, it's brilliant. been absolutely brilliant. I will definitely the the conversations that we've had today. Um, I know there's a lot of insight in some of those articles that you published. Uh, one around predicting NPS, the other around the death of live chat, and the other around uh, is it time to rethink conversational AI, which is all around your intent mapping and stuff like that. So I'll put all of these articles in the show notes so people can can go oh, and read them. And yeah, presumably you're open for people to connect with you on LinkedIn if uh, if they want yeah. to learn more or follow your follow your oh, insights. Yeah. yeah, well, hopefully, um, I mean, we had a very quick chat about this, but I think from January I might be taking a role in a big, big financial organisation with about twenty thousand agents, trying to put all of this into practice. So, uh, but yeah, yeah I'm, always, I'm always up for impassioned. Ho- hopefully, they don't have any kind of like uh, gag restraining orders on you that would prevent you from sharing those insights uh, in future because that would be brilliant to uh, to follow oh, your I, journey I, and, and your lens there definitely I think it's I think it's the same they're, they're, they're pretty awesome it's, it's a brilliant brilliant tribe to, to be looking to join so we're just figuring out some fine 
I was going to say finalities. That's not even a word, but mm-hmm. we're just finalizing some finalities. And, uh, yes, we'll finalities. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me again. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, next up, we have SmartBots on the podcast where we're going to be diving into the ins and outs of that platform. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you so Brilliant, much. Man. All right. Catch you around. Nice one. Speak, Speak soon. soon. Bye-bye.